Hey everybody, I am still alive. Yes, the podcast is still going. Just to, to catch up on what happened last week. Last week was an insane week. We didn't put an episode out on our, our usual end of the week on Fridays. Uh, and a lot of that was just life finally caught up with me uh, with everything that's going on with COVID. It was a really stressful week because I it was finally this time... Uh, what is this, August now? You know, this really started back in February, March around here. This is the first time that I actually had a reason to get COVID tested. So uh, I was not feeling well the weekend before. So this is like two weeks ago now. Uh, was not feeling well. I made the decision to, because I had some of the symptoms, to go get tested. Had the uh, nasal pharyngeal swab. I'm not sure if that's... Uh, if nasal and pharyngeal, if those are like a duplicate of the word, either way, nobody really knows what they're talking about, especially me. But I went and got tested. It was a test to see if I had uh, the infection on that day. But of course, it took at least seven days for me to find out whether I had it a week ago. So, you know, I ended up doing the podcast the week that I got tested. That was the last episode that was up. And then just really start, felt like I was getting better, found out I tested negative at the time, which is great. Um, but at the same time, still wasn't feeling well. And at the end of this last week, for whatever reason, uh, I just fell right back down again, uh, feeling crappy, took took the week off, and uh, I appreciate everyone hanging in there. I'm doing much better. Turns out I was really dehydrated. And just the anxiety. I mean, if, if you are new to this show, <laughs> you haven't listened to more than a few episodes, I, I'm a very anxious person. So um, it just was like complete overload, and I needed to take some time to take care of myself. So uh, that's what I did. Now I'm more hydrated. I got some electrolytes. I've got my body uh, working again. Because the weirdest thing was I was anxious, and I'm like, hey, I gotta, you know, I'm not feeling well. Let me drink some water. And I was drinking a ton of water, and it just wasn't making a difference. So um, we we did a little biology. We figured out, hey, maybe that's what's going on. Almost immediately felt better. Now I think I'm on uh, day three here of actually hydrating again properly. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. So thank you, everyone, who uh, reached out. And I'm sure all of you are dealing with your own stuff at the same time. So if you need to take a break, man, please do. Please do. And, and, and most importantly, take care of yourself. Even if you're not physically exerting yourself, the emotional toll of these COVID times is definitely uh, way more impactful on your body than we all realize. But we're going to have another guest, uh, a repeat guest from the People of Science series um, to come on and talk more about that, like doing doing things for yourself, self-care, and also staying up on your creativity. But we'll, we'll have that towards the end of this month. We're still going to record that soon. And today, I just wanted to just do a quick thing, you know, a lot of that time spent feeling crappy this last weekend. And even um, if you guys are following us on Instagram, on our social media, on uh, Today in Space Pod, on Instagram and Twitter, um, but on our Instagram page and our Facebook page, Today in Space Podcast, uh, the end of the week last week, we were talking about just this this amazing new shift that the space industry has taken where, and it's something that we talked, we started this year talking about. And 
it's come to fruition about this balance, right? About, actually, that might have been the start of last year. Wow, has it really been that long? I mean, just the entirety of this podcast, too, was spent on the kind of the dynamic that NASA and SpaceX, New Space, Old Space, they were kind of in this weird cultural battle, warfare of like, and it's exaggeration, obviously, but basically the way that we were doing space before, old space, uh, the way that NASA was doing things, and the way that this new breed of private companies is, and these arm, this army of engineers that are at SpaceX, and these really talented people that are putting their best years, you could argue, into an effort to which to them with SpaceX is the ultimate goal, which is making life interplanetary. For, for some aerospace engineers, just en- engineers in general, I mean, it really is the holy grail of work. It's like, yeah, I'm going to bust my ass and I'm going to work overtime, but I'm going to be able to do something that could change history. It could change the way that we do space. It could revolutionize and, and make human exploration possible faster, make a Martian colony a real thing, make life interplanetary so that we don't have to worry about uh, you know, the existence of the species if an asteroid knocks out the Earth, which <laughs> in 2020 seems more and more likely. So <clears throat> regardless, uh, that era is over for the most part. And it's, it's, it was a, it's an interesting time to look back to this kind of, as we were calling it last week, the new hope of, obviously picked from Star Wars, of where the future of the space industry is. And I wanted to just share some of my early thoughts and kind of like my early memories of SpaceX when this era first started um, to give some closure and to move on to the future. So, for those of you who don't know, I went to school to be an aerospace engineer. major reason why I did that was because I wanted to be able to work on the space shuttle. Just the idea of being able to do that, that that's the only reason I did it. I mean, I was kind of, I was, I was a jazz musician. I was a musician. I was a trumpet player. I was good at science classes, but not so great at math classes. And basically, I wanted to be hands-on with stuff and the idea of just being able to work on the space shuttle was insane. So that's why I decided to become an aerospace engineer, a rocket scientist. Then it gets retired. I'm two years in. I'm struggling hardcore. Um, This is where a lot of the angst comes from, people, if if you're not aware. I'm in college. I had just failed. This is uh, is my sophomore year of college. I went through a whole freshman year. I survived that freshman year, did pretty well. And then my sophomore year, the first quarter, because we had quarters and not semesters. So it was uh, three classes basically for seven weeks instead of six classes for uh, 14 weeks, right? It's really compact. You really had to make sure you were on top of your game, which I figured out later. (laughs) But I had failed an entire quarter, my first quarter of classes. I was not in a good place. I snowflaked. My life was in turmoil. The space shuttle was getting retired. Everything was crap, right? So I was not in a great space, but... Oh, and then, of course, uh, I had started smoking cigarettes, which we've talked about, uh, my journey of addiction, which my sobriety from that, or that's a weird way to say it. Um, I stopped smoking cigarettes basically when this podcast started. So it has that function for me too as well, kind of an outlet to get that addictive uh, energy out. Regardless, I'm rambling here. At that time, SpaceX does their first hop of the Falcon 9. It was the grasshopper, right? So it was the Falcon 9, uh, if we take our Galileo rocket, which we'll be talking about more, our 3D printed rocket that you helped us vote on and design, 
but uh, we're catching up, so we'll do more. Uh, the next episode will be about this and some decisions we have to make and where we want to go next. But if we're talking about the Falcon 9, the first Falcon 9, the Grasshopper, right now the Falcon 9 has those fancy legs that deploy down when it lands. You've probably seen it. The early stage Falcon 9 was a rigid structure. Basically, it, you know, kind of looked like the Starhopper with the rigid legs on the bottom of a Falcon 9. That's kind of what it looked like. And just the idea that they were able to, like, it was unheard of for someone to have taken a rocket, gone up to, I don't remember what, what it was at the time, but let's just say 150 meters, because that's the one, that's the what they choose nowadays, right? We saw that with Starship recently. To see that, to see the control that they had, you know, a lot of it, even though there is a tremendous amount of control in these rockets, it really is kind of a light the engine and go until it, until it's empty. That's a really simplistic way of looking at it. And the fact that they were able to fire the rocket, get it to hop up, hover for a little bit, and come back down without it exploding and, and blowing up everywhere just intrigued me. Like, it, there, was, there was this, oh man, the space shuttle might be over, but these guys are doing some crazy stuff, and it was just fun to keep up with them. You know, and I was I was excited about development and R and D, and so what SpaceX was doing at the same time was crazy. Uh, now, this is 2010 ish, right? 2010. Uh, I start. Uh, I'm not doing that great in, in school, so I kind of take some advice and I take a summer internship uh, to get into the workforce. And then it turns out that I'm actually pretty good at this <laughs> job thing, <laughs> where you know I'm not that great at the school stuff, but I'm pretty good at the at the job stuff. So I start doing really well there, and school starts being less and less. Um, not important to me, but I start, I stopped taking it as seriously, which actually ends up being a good thing. We can talk about that another time. Regardless, I start having some success <laughs> at a day job. So I was working at, as an aerospace R and D engineer. I was trying to replace these. Um, so basically I was working on this application where we were making, uh, composite mold. So it's like carbon fiber plates this is this the first stage was making these carbon fiber plates resin infused in this mold and in order to build around like to form a shape inside of that composite they would put these things called mandrels so just basically a shape that you put in there so that you can just in, put the fabric around it and then infuse the rest of it with resin so that way you can take those things out afterwards and you were good to go uh the original way it was working was these lead mandrels that had to be like banged like literally like forcibly taken out of the mold. So whether it was hitting with a hammer, pulling it out with wrenches, um, it, you could damage the part. Uh, and obviously lead's not a great thing to work with. I was working on injection molding the same shapes in this eutectic salt that was water soluble. So it was a really green solution, but the stuff was crazy. And I had a great time developing that. So I'm doing that. I'm doing stuff no one else has done really in the world. And I'm doing this while SpaceX is doing this at the same time. And it was, it was for me at the time, my hope for the future of like, okay, wow, this, this development stuff, this research stuff is really cool. And this is where I like to go. I start learning more about SpaceX. Um, and at the time, as I'm learning as an aerospace engineer, the, the mantra that the, 
teachers, the, the, the professors that are teaching us at that time. Um, and that was the old space mantra, which is again, why I get triggered by all that stuff, um, was flight heritage, flight heritage, flight heritage, flight heritage. If, it, if, a, if any component hadn't flown before, it hadn't flown enough times to show that it had worked, you couldn't use it. You couldn't even consider it a part of your inventory for your trip that you're designing, which I get now a little, as I'm a little bit older, <laughs> I'm a little like, angsty about it. We lost human beings on the space shuttle. And part of that was because we flew stuff uh, outside of the actual, uh, what it was supposed to be run at. Obviously, one case, it was the O-ring that was flown under colder conditions. The other was an impact of um, the actual heat shield and devastation happened on the return. So people's lives are at stake. We lost humans to the shuttle. This is where this this uh, fear-based, almost orthodoxy to flight heritage happened, and I was experiencing it real time. And so I obviously had a weird angst to that, uh, but that was my problem at the time. And what drove me to do this podcast, to talk about what SpaceX was doing, because they were, it didn't matter if it was flight heritage, they were going to find a way to get it to fly so that we could try new things. You know, the problem that Old Space had for a long time was that it just took too long for anything to happen. And with a funding of four years for a presidential candidate, it, we, you, the funding that you would need for NASA to develop new things just took too long. And again, this is all old news now. Now that we have SpaceX and NASA working together, we can have development happen and paid for and, and even funded partially through the taxes that are, that are appointed to the budget of NASA, but also we can have these companies that fund their own funding through things like Starlink that's happening on, uh, on Tuesday of this week, Starlink 10, right? They're, they're launching up their own satellites to provide global internet. Then they're also delivering customers' payloads, so they're able to fund their own development. That's a beautiful thing to have both. That was not possible five years ago when this podcast started. So anyways... It's 2010, I'm doing my stuff as an R&D engineer, having fun, watching Elon Musk. Then I find out about Elon Musk and why he started SpaceX. And, and this, whole, this whole thing that he ran into the same problem I was seeing from the people that were teaching me. And it wasn't everybody. I'm, it, it was, it was this, this idea that was uh, almost immovable in the aerospace industry. Uh, this idea of pure flight heritage, uh, and you need multiple, you, you, there was no room for development, is the point I'm trying to make here. And Elon tried to say, hey, I just made a whole bunch of money from PayPal. Let me put that money into the places that, into the world to do things that I think would be the best thing for humanity. Uh, and if you want to read uh, Elon Musk, there's, we'll, we'll put the link up for this this week's episode, but it, it's his, it's a biography that's written by a reporter who follows him and, and interviews a bunch of people over the years that were that either were positive towards the guy or negative towards the guy or neutral. But it's a really good basis of his ideas and, and where it all started. Rant aside, I started learning that he tried to do a mission to Mars, spoke with NASA people, um, people that were looking for ways to go to Mars and do missions to Mars to, to spread the word. He ends up going to NASA. It gets too complicated. He tries to put a greenhouse on Mars. But it's going to cost way too much money to do it. And there's obviously 
the downside of, hey, if this greenhouse doesn't work and we're broadcasting a, a dead planet on Mars, that's terrible for, for the long-term view and like the whole reason you were doing it, right? Which is to get people interested in space. Now you've just convinced them that everything is dead <laughs> and it's not worth it, right? So that's not good. And then he goes to Russia tries to allegedly, uh, well, he tries to uh, purchase rockets, basically rockets that have been sitting in warehouses, gathering dusts, but still reliable and used today, uh, and ends up in uh, a disagreement with them. I, I think allegedly the the price got more expensive when they got there, and it, it was just not a good situation. I think allegedly Elon even got spit on at the end of that conversation, just to give you an idea of how bad that conversation went. And on the flight home, he has an Excel sheet that he made and he realizes and calculates that it just makes more sense for him to make the rocket himself with the money he got from PayPal because it will be cheaper if he just buys the raw material and, and gathers engineers to make this happen. You know, young, young engineers that want to do this kind of work when they're getting out of school. And that's what they do. They get that. They get the, they get the engineers they create a team, they start doing all these things, and they are where they are today. Now, they're working with NASA. Now, those engineers are are reaping the reward of their hard work over the last 10 years, or however long they've been there. And at that time, again, before the reason, one of the reasons why SpaceX exists is because NASA had no long-term mission specifically for Mars, specifically for colonizing another planet, which was one of the things that Elon... Musk wanted to focus on with the wealth that he had acquired, on how he wanted to, to make the world a better place. Work on the, the problems that we have, at least some of them, right? So NASA, at that time, when Elon's trying to do this mission, there's a bunch of chaos. Uh, you know, NASA had, had canceled their moon landing mission with Constellation, uh, with George W. Bush. They went to the asteroid recovery program under President Obama. They luckily started the commercial crew program, which we just saw with, with Demo 2 and Dragon, and Crew 1's going to happen on uh, in October. Uh, they've, they've finally finalized a, a first date, at least. And we were, NASA was spending millions of dollars per seat for astronauts to fly on the Soyuz, uh, the Russian system, to the International Space Station. Granted, that was our only option to go to the International Space Station, and because of that, we've had continued human presence. And I would say it's it's kept our international partnership in space and science moving along because we did that. So you you know you can't argue that it was all for a loss, but there was no way for NASA to kind of get back into the game. And then this culture clash happened, but they started working together. And the crux of that was when the dads, Bob Bankin, Doug Hurley got involved. And, and I'm sure it was the same for Boeing, because Boeing had their team, astronauts that had gotten involved. Vet, the veterans of the space shuttle era worked with these two companies to tell them, this, to, to teach them what they needed and, and kind of give them the bar for what they should shoot for. Boeing still has to launch their Starliner. They're still doing their work. And SpaceX is just the first one. And we're going to see more of that coming here. And while there is a competition, it's not this brutal competition that it used to be uh, in, in almost like a cultural way. And so it, it for me, 
it's a, it's a moment of growth because I was definitely one of those people in the early days talking about how this would never happen, that the, the two would never work together. And honestly, at the time, it didn't seem like they were going to work together. And this is part of what we talked about uh, last week on, on our, our Instagram page. We were talking in a space in a minute. Like, it's so awesome that, that we've gotten to this point because there's so much more that we can do together than we can do working against each other. All that energy spent talking about how that other person is doing it the wrong way or that, you know, instead of just letting the young bucks go in there and try their own things while NASA also gets to work on the space launch system and their own stuff, now we both benefit from everything. SpaceX benefits from the infinite knowledge that and expertise that NASA has in human spaceflight, and NASA gets a basically a contractor filled with an army of some of the brightest engineers in in the world. Well, I guess for SpaceX it would be in in, in the U.S. But uh, or anyone who is cleared for that kind of stuff um, because of. Uh, ITAR, which which is a whole nother thing, but rocket propelled stuff has never historically never uh, <laughs> works that well. Uh, we're talking the the whole reason the rocket exists is the V two rocket. So it, its history makes makes sense why it's very restricted. But these are new times. This is this is really cool stuff, and to see the growth that that we've seen from this is awesome. It was also just a good point for me to reflect as I was uh, feeling absolutely terrible this last week. But I mean, that's, that's what I got for you this week. That that's Those are my thoughts. just want to give you like an insight of where I was five years ago and just how important this, this new era and just this moment is in 2020 when we needed the most that we have the space program working together as a team don't have a lot of teamwork happening today. (laughs) So uh, it's really cool to see that happening there. But I think later this week, if not this weekend, um, I'm going to see how I'm doing the next few days. But uh, we're going to be doing uh, basically a session where I'm going to talk to you about how we made this design prototype for the Galileo rocket. And you guys are going to help with with helping us decide what the next step is, where we should focus our time, right? And I think there are two really big areas we can focus on, um, and it will change where we go next with the rocket. But take a look, take a look at our Instagram at Today in Space Pod, um, as well as Twitter, same thing, Today in Space Pod, Today in Space Podcast on Facebook, Today in Space on TikTok as well, uh, for as long as we're still able to do that. But uh, that's it. That's all I got for this week. Please take care of yourself. We, we <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that and I, I hope you do too. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Today in Space. Don't forget to share the podcast. Send it out to anyone that loves space or science, loves talking about humanity and trying to spread positivity in an age of complete distraction and negativity. Have a great week. See you next time. Spread love, spread science. See ya.